You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are this morning as we continue in our series, The Real Jesus. And, you know, I really can't think of a series that is any more important than, than this series. Um, back in 2008, in, in January, or I think February 2008, I wrote in the journal as I was living in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there in my dorm at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I wrote in there that I believe that God is calling me to plant a church in the city of Paragould. That was in 2008. And my desire was to come back here and plant a church so that the real Jesus could be made known in this city. Uh, we desperately need the real Jesus. We don't need the religious Jesus. We don't need the Jesus of our heads. He, he's, he's useless. He's weak. He's unable to help us. We need the real Jesus. And so if we are going to show people in this city, and we're going to tell them about the real Jesus, we need to know who he is. And the way we discover that is by diving into his word. And where we are is in Matthew chapter 5. And we are walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. And we have made it all the way from verse 1 into verse 12. And today we're going to look at verse 13 through verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Um, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, we give out free Bibles on uh, our welcome booth out there. It's just we have ESV Bibles. You can grab those. That's our gift to you. We don't want any money for them. Just take it uh, with you and uh, mark it up really well and, and set it out in front of your friends so you can impress them with how much you've read and all that sort of stuff. And so um, if you have a Bible, ESV Bible, it's on page 810 if you're having a hard time finding it in the ESV. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Will you pray for me as I pray for you? Father, we come to you now and we know that we are in desperate need of you. Only you can transform lives. Nobody got up this morning to come into a cinema and to hear a 31-year-old give some thoughts on life. We came here to be transformed. And that can only happen through the power of your Spirit, working through your Word, which is active and living, which means it's just as valuable as if you were standing here speaking it to us in person. I pray that you will take it and that you will use it to show us the real Jesus and use it to conform us into His image and use us in this city for the good of our city and for the glory of the Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I've got a problem when it comes to germs. Uh, my wife can vouch for this, and anybody that knows me can probably vouch for this. True story. Anywhere I go or whatever I do, I feel like there are germs out there on the surface just waiting to attack and take me down. Uh, it, it, it's, it's awful. In fact, I had to ride to Memphis with Luke this week, and he was coughing all over the place, man. It was the worst trip to Memphis I've ever had in my life. Uh, and so I'm always on guard. I'm always on, on guard. For example, if I go to a buffet, 
and I'm walking through and, and the buffet, I will make sure that whatever hand I grab the serving utensil with, that I will only use that hand during the meal to touch my cup. I'm not going to touch my bread with it. I'm not going to pick up a piece of chicken with it. I'm going to use a different hand to touch my food, right? Because I don't want anybody's germy hands basically groping all over my food. That's kind of what it's like, right? Uh, if I go to the restroom in a public restroom, I'm going to flush the toilet with my foot. I am going to turn the faucet on with my elbow, unless they have those sensors, which I think is the greatest invention next to electricity. Uh, they have those little water faucet sensors. You just kind of rub your hand underneath there. I'll turn the water on with my elbow, and then I'll grab some uh, some some sort of uh, you know paper, uh, whatever it's called, uh, paper towel. Thank you. I've got a master's in seminary, and I don't even know what the name is of paper towel. I have to write that down. And so I'll grab a paper towel, and I will open the door with a paper towel, and then I will throw it in the basket. And if there's no basket there, I'll throw it on the ground. I mean, that's your fault for not thinking about putting a basket there. Um, I used to work at First Baptist Church, and, and, and I, we would have people in the hospital all the time, and, and we would all have days as ministers that we had to go to the hospital. My day was Monday. I never needed the Holy Spirit more any other day of the week than on Mondays. And so I would go to the hospital, and uh, man, that is just, uh, you know, it's like you just feel like an army is waiting to attack you, an army of germs. And so I would go in and literally at every single sanitizing station I could find, I would just put my hand under there and get some of that foamy, warm security blanket, you know, like being able to rub my hands. I felt like I was putting on the armor of God against germs whenever I'd put this hand sanitize, uh, sanitizing stuff on my hands. And, and I might or might not have a couple times when I would go into a room where I knew there was going to be an airborne disease, taking the stuff and actually putting it on my lips as well. Um, am I a germaphobe? That's your word, not mine. I think I just prefer to be healthy. Is that such a, a big deal, right? I don't want to get sick. I'm actually rubbing off on my, my uh, daughter who, uh, <laughs> she has uh, <laughs> She, this has just recently started. It's so sad. We'll be sitting in the house, and all of a sudden we'll hear her go, ooh. And I'll walk into the room, and she'll just be looking at her hands going, I need clean hands. And I'm like, yes, you do, baby. And there's like nothing on her hands. We're like, we'll go. We'll put them under the sink and, and rinse them. My wife's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, where do you want me to start? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, and she don't even ask me anymore. She'll just like get me hand sanitizer for Christmas and things like that. And I, and I, I love it. Some of you are like, where in the world are you going? I promise this is going to tie into the message. I share all that to say this. When it comes to the Christian life, aren't there some Christians who view the world as I view sin? Uh, as I view germs. That would have messed the whole thing up. Let's stop the recording. We're going to go back. Y'all act like y'all didn't hear that story. Yeah, that's good y'all's paying attention though. Some people view the world as I view germs. And the fact that they see the world as a sinful place, and sin is like this plague, right, that, that, that you're going to get on you if you get close enough to it. And so we just try to avoid the world. And maybe some of you, you grew up that way, right? Your parents told you, don't sit at that table with those kids because they're bad, you're good, and you don't want to get this bad stuff on you. Right? Maybe some of you are still living that way today. Or we look and we say the world is this sinful, incredibly dangerous place. And so what we should do as Christians is just come here each week, sing a few songs, listen to preaching, and then live in our own little holy huddles throughout the week while the sinful people go and do whatever it is that they do. 
And some of us are okay with that. But then we come to the passage today, and what we're going to discover is that the real Jesus is going to say, I do not support an isolated lifestyle. What the real Jesus is going to say to us is, though you're to be different from the world, you're not to be distant from the world. Though we're not to be of the world, Jesus would say we are to be in the world. And so what that means for us then as Christians is we're not to be scared of the world, nor are we to be conformed to the image of the world, but we are to be engaged in the world. And is this not the life that Jesus modeled for us? I mean, Jesus is in a perfect place in heaven, free from the presence of sin. He's worshipped by the angels, and he leaves heaven, and he comes here to earth in the middle of our sinful mess in order to reach us. He doesn't come and just get in a cave somewhere and say, come and see me where it's safe. No, he gets right into the middle of our mess. And some of you need to hear that this morning because maybe you have grown up hearing that Jesus is telling you, clean yourself up before you come to me. And that's not the gospel. Some of you feel like, man, I'm so bad, like Jesus would never want anything to do with me. Jesus said, you're the one I came for. I came for those who know they're sick. I came for those who know they're jacked up. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. He was a friend to drunkards and gluttons and tax collectors. They actually wanted to hang out with him. Jesus got right in the middle of the mess. And this morning, what the text is going to show us is he wants us to do the same in this city and throughout the world. In verse 13, Jesus starts and he says, You are the salt of the earth. That you there, in its original language, is plural. So it can be translated, we are the salt of the earth. And this is important for you to get. Jesus says, this is who you are. You are salt. That is your identity. But the way we live as salt to the earth is not as just a bunch of individuals coming on a Sunday morning and then going and living through our own little individual lives throughout the week. But it's whenever we go out together, collectively, that we are really salt to the city of Paragold. That's why we have missional communities, because we believe it's not just about coming and you just kind of live in your own little individual mission. It's about coming together with the church, with the community who is focused on going and being salt to this city. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, culturally, it's hard for us to understand the implications of salt and what Jesus means here. When we think of salt, what do we think of? We think of flavoring. Right? That's why you have salt in your houses. That's why you have salt in the restaurants. Because we put it on our food and we make it taste better. And I've heard some sermons preach and say, as Christians we are to, to add flavor to our cities and to our world. And I think that's true. I do think as Christians we should live in such a way and speak in such a way that whenever people look at us, they actually hunger and thirst more for God. But I think that there's a much greater implication here to what Jesus means when he says we're the salt of the earth. You see, salt was an invaluable resource to the people in this culture. Salt actually served as a preservative to meat. If you didn't have salt, you couldn't preserve your meat, and therefore you couldn't eat that food. I mean, salt was incredibly valuable. It was so valuable that you would actually pay Roman soldiers in salt so that they could use it and preserve their food and feed their families. And what Jesus is saying here, it's so epic. He is saying that the world is falling apart. 
The world around us is decaying. And the church, we are the ones who are meant to act like salt, to act like preservative in the lives that are decaying around us. If you are familiar with the story of God, you know that in creation, God created the world perfect, right? He created Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with each other, in perfect relationship with Him. Everything was beautiful and rhythmic and as it should be, but we only have to get three chapters into the Bible and what happens? Adam and Eve believe a lie. They believe that God is holding out on them. They believe that there's a better way to live. They believe that God doesn't know the best way, that they're actually smarter than God. And so they eat of a tree that God says not to eat of. And immediately, the Bible says, sin enters into the world. And comes darkness and decay and death and all of these things. That's why now, today, we have wars. It's because we live in a sinful world. It's why we have murders. It's why we have suicides. It's why we have people that are addicted to things that they will put in their bodies that actually do not help them but destroy them. It's why we have broken homes. It's why we have 50% of marriages right now ending in divorce. It's why we have poverty. It's all because we live in a fallen, broken world that is decaying. And even science knows this, by the way. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. It's that anything left to itself will fall apart. And that's all because of sin. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus did not say, I'm going to make you work your way to me and figure this out yourself. He said, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come and live a perfect life that none of you can live. And I'm going to go and die a death that you all deserve to die for your sin, for sinning against a holy, righteous God. And then Jesus went to a grave, but he didn't stay there. Right? He, he placed sin, the power of sin, and the power of death, and the power of decay and darkness in its grave. So that now when we trust in Christ, the resurrected real Jesus, we can be saved from that same power of sin. And a lot of times we stop there as a church. And we say, well, that's the gospel. Let's all have a, an altar call and then let's go home. But that's only three-fourths of the story. The rest of the story is, when you keep reading the Bible, is now Jesus says, if you have been a recipient of my grace, you are to be a participant of my grace. You are now, as I have restored your life, you are to go and seek to restore creation. As I have been salt to you, you need to seek to be salt to others. And what we must remember is that this is all done in Jesus' power. John 15, Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. Jesus is going to change the world through his power. But what's so amazing is just look at us. He takes us ordinary people and he says, I want you to be a part of my purpose. I want you to be a part of my plan. And to neglect this is to neglect the very reason for why he has left us here on earth as Christians. It's to miss the, the, the identity that he's now given us. As sons and daughters of God. That's why he says what he says in verse 13. He says, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What Jesus is saying here is you are salt. It's who you are. The world may say you're something else. The world may say you're a failure. You're a nobody. You're not significant, but Jesus says, no, you are salt. And if you are not salty, that means you're not even living out the very purpose 
for why I've saved you and kept you here on earth. He says, you are here, not just sitting around waiting for heaven, trying to be a good little boy or a good little girl. Try not to, to cuss or try not to drink. Try not to watch rated R movies. Like there's way more, Jesus says, to your purpose on earth. And that is you are to be salt to a world that is decaying. Should I ask you this morning, do you believe that? So often, isn't it common for us to sit and to look at people in our city who have broken marriages or, or, or maybe are struggling with addictions or, or, or their, their lives are, seem to be falling apart in some ways. And isn't it so common oftentimes for Christians to just sit back and, and to look at them and say, man, isn't that pitiful? Isn't that a shame? And Jesus says, the reason the world is falling apart is because it needs me. And as a church, we are the ones that go and live like Christ. We are the ones that go to them. And of course, they're decaying. If out Christ, how can they be preserved? And Jesus says, you are the church. You are the ones that are meant to be salt in this city, in this world. And he goes on in verse 14 and 15, another picture he paints for us. He says, not only that, verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it to you. Peter says to the church, listen to this, listen to this. This is who you are if you are in Christ. Peter says, you are a chosen race. Isn't that amazing? God chose you to be a part of this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Did you know that you're a priest? Did you know that you're a minister of the gospel? I'm not the only minister in this room today. We're all ministers if we are Christians. We're all to be participants of God's mission. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, so that, he says, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a beautiful passage. You know what the motivation is behind, behind being light in a dark city and in a dark world? It's from believing that one time you were in darkness. And God, by His grace, not because of anything you've done, but by His grace, called you out of darkness. And into his light. It's an amazing just to think about. That we were in darkness. That we were decaying because of sin. And God being rich in mercy sent Jesus into the world to come and pull us out of darkness. And into his marvelous light. If you don't believe that. You will distance yourself from the darkness rather than engaging it and seeking to shine the light of Christ into a dark world. You were once in darkness. This was all of us. All of us were once in darkness, but God, through His great mercy, has pulled us out. And I want you to think about this. The mayor mentioned it earlier. You've been pulled out of that because God raised somebody else up to be salt and light in your life. Think about it. 
God used somebody else. The reason you are where you are, if you are a Christian, is because God raised up some man or some woman to, through their walk or their words, or through putting a Bible in your hands, God used that to save you. And what Jesus is now saying is that if somebody else has been salt and light to you, you are now to participate in being salt and light to others. By how we speak, other people should know what Christ has done for us. By how we live, they should see a picture of how Christ has lived. And if we miss this, we miss the whole point of why we are here. Christ says in verse 15, again, nobody lights a light and puts it under a basket. Jesus says, the very reason I've lit a fire in you and not taken you to heaven yet is so your light will shine in the dark places of this world. And what does that look like for us as a church? That means that we should be a church that's actively seeking to demonstrate the good news of the gospel and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Let me just say something, and this comes with love in my heart. I am so thankful that I am a part of a church that is doing so many wonderful things. It, it, we really are. Like, I don't have to stretch to think about, are we even doing anything good? Like, clearly, we're doing a lot of good stuff in our city. I mean, we're giving away thousands of pounds of food each month. Uh, we've got people that have been connected with the foster families, and, and we've started closed closets, and, 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 and we're, we're helping redeem youth sports. And uh, I mean, I, the list could go on and on and on of things that we are doing in the city to demonstrate a picture of what the gospel is like. But can I say something? We must not only demonstrate the good news of the gospel, we must proclaim the gospel with our mouths. What good is it if someone has a full belly but an empty soul? What good is it if, if we help someone get out of their addiction and put them into a house and get them a job and they have relative peace for 40 years but then spend an eternity in hell? Guys, the greatest need our city has is the real Jesus. We must be people who open up our mouths and tell people about Christ, about who He is and what He has done for us. And sometimes, sometimes that's going to go bad for us. You remember the sermon last week? Jesus said, sometimes you will experience persecution for doing this. But then sometimes, as we see in verse 16, sometimes we will do this. And Jesus said, people will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Man, that's why we exist. We want people to give glory to the Father. You know what that word glory means, by the way? It means that, that people see God as He really is. Let me ask you a question, think about this. How many people do you think in Paragold woke up this morning believing God really is as good as He says He is? Imagine. If we lived in such a way, if we became salt and light in this city, where more and more and more people woke up every morning believing God really is as good as He says He is. And the only way that's going to happen is whenever we seek to be salt and light in our city, when we seek to engage a dark and decaying world with the message of Christ. The question is this morning is are you being salt and light? Are you living on this mission or is it true of you that you are distancing yourself from the world? Living in your own little holy huddle, almost just like living these blinders on, just kind of going and doing your own thing. Are you being salt and light to the city? 
I'm so thankful for each one of you that are here, each one of you that are part of our missional communities. We were trying to figure out this past week how many people in our church are, uh, have, have come from already existing churches and how many have come into our church that, that were not already in a church. And, and we figured out about 60% of our church have come from already existing churches at some point. And 40% have come from, that have never been involved in a church anywhere. And, and I just want to say, like, please hear my heart here. We always want to make sure when someone comes from another church to our church, and I've talked with, I think, all of you that have ever done this. Like, we want to make sure there's no sinful reasons behind that. You know, it's not just, you know, that there's a, there's a godly biblical reason for why maybe you have moved from one to another. And we want to make sure that's done in a proper way. We're not here to take people from other churches. Here's the deal. We did not plant this church because we wanted to see people primarily transfer from one church to another. We planted this church because we want to see people transfer from darkness into light. Last year, we had 11 baptisms. This year, I hope we double that. If we're making disciples, it probably should be double that. 45% of our city does not even claim any sort of religious affiliation. 45%. We have so many people in our city that are still unreached, that still need to know the real Jesus. People that still need to encounter Him through when we live lives that look like Christ, and we speak a message that talks about what He has done for us. When that happens, lives will begin to be changed, and God will receive the glory. Maybe some of you here this morning, you say, well, I don't feel prepared to be salt and light. I'm not a good public speaker. I, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Do you want to know who God used to save me? He used a testimony that was about 30 seconds long when I was 20 years old. After growing up in church my whole life, it was, a, it was about a 30-second testimony when I was 20 years old where someone, I sit in my living room, talked about their father had just passed away, but they still have so much joy because they have Jesus in their life. That's pretty much all they said, and the Holy Spirit used that and took me to my knees, and I gave my life to Christ right then in my living room. That was it. That was all it was. Again, it's not in our power. That's what's so amazing about this. It's not like if you become more elegant in your speaking, it's just opening up and believing that when you share this message, God's going to use it. And I want you to think about this. If you've ever been blessed in any way through Fellowship Paragold, just think about this. If you've been blessed at all through Fellowship Paragold, it wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for one man that shared about 30 seconds of his testimony of what Jesus has done in his life. You never know what's on the other side of you being obedient and just going and sharing with somebody about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. You might not just be impacting that person's life. You're impacting generations and maybe hundreds upon thousands of lives. Maybe some of you here this morning, you've been in church your whole life, and it's not that you are unprepared. It's that you're just not motivated to be salt and light. Maybe some of you, if you can be honest, we're about to check out of here in just a little bit and nothing's going to change for you. And I would say what we need more than anything is not to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but what we need more than anything is to be reminded of the gospel. You say, well, I've heard the gospel before. Okay, you need to set at the fire of the gospel until it begins to warm your heart. You need to hear the gospel again and you need to be praying, Holy Spirit, help me to believe it this time. Help it to become alive in my heart this time. I heard the gospel my whole life, and it wasn't until I was 20 that it became alive in my soul. What we need is to be reminded of the gospel over and over again, how we all are a broken people. We are all a big mess, 
as Luke said and Mayor Mike said, we are all still sinners desperately in need of God. And God has given us himself by giving us his own son to come and accomplish everything we need. Jesus was salt and light for us so that we can, when we believe that, begin to be salt and light for others. And this is what we want to be reminded of each week. It's why we take communion together. We take communion not because we believe it's some sort of just ritual that we have to do to earn God's favor. We take communion every single week because we need to taste and see that God is good. We need a a, a tangible reminder of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And so what we do is we come, and even if you're not officially a part of this church, you can come and partake of the Lord's Supper. We invite you to just to come and tear off a piece of bread. Someone will be holding it and dip it in the juice. And the bread is to remind us of the perfect life of Christ, that he lived a perfect life we could never live, and so we don't have to be perfect. Amen? Jesus was perfect for us. And then we remind as we dip it in the juice that Jesus did everything to atone for our sins. He has purchased our salvation. We are fully forgiven. There is no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus. If you were here this morning and you are not a Christian, we tell people every single week, all this is is some great value grape juice and uh, probably like a $2 loaf of bread at Walmart. There's nothing special in these elements in themselves. It's a symbol of what Christ has done for us. It's hope. And so for you, we ask, don't come and take of this. By taking it, God's not going to love you more. He's not going to answer some unanswered prayer. He's not going to forgive you of sins by taking of communion. Rather than receiving communion, receive Christ. Receive Christ. Give your life to him today. And if you do that, we encourage you to come talk to me or talk with someone that you came with, and we would love to pray for you, encourage you, and help you in the next step in your journey. For those also that are officially a part of our church, You know we have giving baskets out here. If you are not officially part of our church, please, we don't ask anything from you. We don't want your money. We really don't. We want this service to be a gift from you. But for those that are a part of this church, we believe giving is an act of worship. We've received everything we have from God, and by giving, it's just one way that we can give back. And standing by the giving basket, Mayor Mike will be there today uh, with the Bible, and we would encourage you to help contribute to this wonderful ministry of getting God's Word out to people in the world. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We are going to pray, and we're going to sing a song together. And then we are going to take of communion. Father, we do come to you, and I thank you so much that you placed your gospel in my path. I thank you that there have been people in my life, my parents, other people who have, who have been salt and light to me, and I pray, Father, that we will be a church that's serious about being salt and light to others. I pray that we will just that we will embrace that identity. More than you view us as Christians, that's, that's just a man-made term. You have said our identity is salt and light. That's who we are. Would you help us all to believe that, that you have given us the identity. You have given us the power to go and help change the world for the good of this world and for your glory. Father, give us favor with our city. We pray for our other churches as well, that you will help them to be salt and light. Help us to reach the city. Help us to reach a people who are broken and burnt out and hopelessly lost. I pray for each person that is here this morning. I pray that you give them a fresh reminder that you came right in the middle of their sinful mess. And even though we're still a mess, you still say, I'm standing here. I'm so thankful that our sin... Did not, it's not something that, that, that 
that scared you away from us, but that you had a plan to come right in the middle. And Jesus, you, the Bible says you became our sin so that we can become your righteousness. Would you make that alive in the hearts of those here this morning? Help us to believe your gospel more and more. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.